Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. There are 34 distinct miracles recorded in the Gospels, but over the next seven weeks, we will explore and study the seven miracles that John's Gospel spotlights in our new series entitled The Grave Robber. I, uh, I love you guys. Y'all are awesome people, and I thank God for you. And we're going to have a good time today. We really are. I'm enjoying this series, this Grave Robber series. Are you enjoying it? Isn't it good? We taught the first lesson, and Brother Brad taught the second lesson. We had Pastor or Bishop Ron Lyles with us last week, and he taught on the lame man at the Pool of Bethesda. That was good stuff. And now today, we're going to talk about two fish. <laughs> we're going to talk about two fish today. And you can't hardly see it up there. Everybody say, two fish. Two fish. We're going to talk about God's multiplication. It's an awesome thing to get into God's multiplication. You know, we talk about addition, but God wants to multiply. And when God gets into multiplication in our world, there's nothing that is greater in your life than when God starts multiplying and blessing you with multiplication. You want to, you want to multiply today? Let's talk about it. Amen. Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to help the pastor preach today. I promise not to hold you long, but it's long enough to get this message across. You can be seated. You're awesome people. In 1939, there was a man named George Danzig that enrolled in a graduate program in statistics at the University of California, Berkeley. And at the beginning of one of his class sessions, his professor chalked two examples of famously unsolved problems on the chalkboard, but George happened to be late to class that day because he was a late sleeper. All you college kids, listen to me. And he missed the disclaimer that they were unsolvable. He thought that the unsolvable problems were homework assignments. And so he transcribed them in his notebook and went home to go to work on them. It took a little bit longer than he anticipated, but George Danzig solved both of these unsolvable problems. You can Google him. He's there. It's true. A few weeks later, a very excited professor literally knocked on the door of his apartment on a sunny Saturday morning and woke him up because George was a late sleeper. And Danzig apologized because he thought he was in trouble because his assignment was overdue. It took him so long to figure out these problems. But the professor informed him that he had solved two of statistics' unsolvable problems. And he didn't realize it. In 1975, he won the National Medal of Science. And some of the algorithms that he coined still influence airline schedules and shipping companies and financial companies and oil refineries. But his genius can be traced back to his student days at Cal Berkeley. Danzig said, he died in 2005, but he said, if someone had told me that those were two famous unsolvable problems, I probably would have never tried to solve them. But because nobody told me, I went ahead and jumped on it. Henry Ford said, whether you think you can or think you can't, he said, you're right. Everybody say, oh God. If you think you can't, you won't ask, you won't seek. You won't knock, you won't pray, and you won't believe God for the miraculous. Last week, we learned about how to unlearn false assumptions or every assumption in our life. I'm here to declare this this afternoon, folks, that God is able. Everybody say he's able. And not just able, but he's more than able. God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask, we can imagine, According to the power that worketh in us. And we underestimate how good and how great God is by at least 15.5 billion 
light years. John 6 today is our setting, and it's a famous, unsolvable, statistical problem. And here's the problem. You have 5,000 men plus women and children, and how are you going to feed them with five loaves (laughs) and with two fish? And many, many theologians said it was sardines. It's an unsolvable problem because we assume that five plus two equals seven, but not in God's kingdom. Not biblically, not in John 6. Five plus two equals 5,000 with a remainder of 12 basketfuls. That's God's kingdom. There is always more left over than what he started with at the beginning of the miracle. Can you clap your hands for that and say, wow. See, we have talked about how every atom in the universe is subject to the authority of its creator when we talked about the water atoms turning into wine. We talked about how you go nowhere by accident. We preached that, Brother Brad preached that. And God is setting up divine appointments and you're part of someone else's miracle. And we've talked about unlearning assumptions because we all have assumptions. But this weekend, I want to talk about the miracle of multiplication. Everybody say, not addition, but multiplication. Folks, this is not an isolated miracle in the Bible. Go to the concordance to see how many times the word multiply is used in Scripture. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 7 says, I will bless you and I will love you and I will multiply you. Say, I will bless you. Say it to yourself. I will love you and I will multiply you. That's powerful words from God. The word says about a hundred times in a hundred different ways. So let's talk about what we're going to talk about today. John chapter six, verse one through five. It's on the screen. I'll read it from my text. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the sea of Galilee and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. And when Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming toward him. And he said to Philip, everybody say, Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, I don't know why Jesus was picking on Philip. It was one in 12. Philip was from Bethesda, which was very close to where they were. And I guess Jesus thought he knew where the nearest Panera bread was. I don't know. But I do know in verse 6, he asked this, the Bible said, only to test him. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. God was proving Philip that day in the desert place. He already had a game plan. If you grew up anywhere between 1963 and 1997, you heard this message more than once. This is a test. For the next 60 seconds, this station will conduct a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. And then you'd hear if you're driving, you'd hit three telephone poles during that time. That sound would drive you crazy. It would get your attention. If you were cooking, you'd get the ladle out of the pan and throw it across the room because you got tired of hearing that in your ear. It's like a dog whistle. But there's moments in God that God says in scripture, this is a test. For the next week, the next month, the next year. He doesn't usually tell us how long it's going to be, but I promise you it's more than 60 seconds. But he's going to conduct a test of the emergency faith system in your life. But remember, it's only a test. But some people have what I call test syndrome. I've got a white coat syndrome. When I go to a doctor's office, he's got a white coat on. My blood pressure spikes. 
It is called systematic blood pressure. It goes up when I'm with the doctor. Some people have negative perceptions of tests. Here, here's the question. How did you get your degree from high school or college? The answer, you had to take some tests. No test equals no degree. How did you get your driver's license? You had to take a test, both written and road test, for which the rest of us are all very grateful because you took a road test. You learned how to drive. No test equals no driver's license. In God's kingdom, let me put it this way, no test equals no testimony. I didn't get a testimony in seminary. I can get a degree there, but I can't get a testimony. You get a testimony when you're taking a test. And God always is a brilliant teacher that knows how to test us. In fact, the funny part of this story in John 6 is that the disciples had already failed their math test in feeding of the 4,000 with seven, seven uh, loaves. They didn't get it. So in his mercy and in his grace, God said, this is, Jesus said, this is a makeup test. I'm going to make it up to you. It's almost like Jesus said, let's try this again. Okay, Philip, let's do it one more time. How much is five plus two? And Philip says seven. And then Jesus pulls out his flashcards for the first grade class. And he said, five loaves, Philip, plus two fish, Philip, equals 20,000. Hmm. Let me tell you, put it on the screen. God is not going to pass you to the next level until you pass the test he wants you to learn right now. Some of us need to grasp something. Young college students, young high school students, older adults need to grab things that perhaps we've never grabbed. There's people that's been following Christ for 25 years, but they don't have 25 years experience. They have one year experience repeated 25 times. And God told me to tell you, I need to preach to people with a teachable spirit today because I want someone with a teachable spirit to start learning some things because you're hungry, because you're open and because you're humble enough to learn what God has for you. God wants every one of us to be proven that we can go to another level of what he wants in our life. And if we're going to pass this, we got to start passing right now. Clap your hands and say amen to that. Now, let me, let, me, let me just talk a little bit. Let me just talk a little bit. I don't know exactly how and where, where you are today, but I want to ask the single youngins, can you stay sexually pure while you're single? If you can, it's a lot easier to stay faithful when you're married. I'm going to move on. I'm not going to embarrass you. If you're a G1 or a G2 on a GS pay scale, my question is, are you tithing already? Are you tithing? Are you giving back to God? If you are, it's going to be a lot easier when you reach that G15 because you've already been faithful with God at G1 and G2 levels. Many people say, boy, pastor, if I won the lottery. No, 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 no. If you make $100, God still requires and and you you honor God with your tithing. Amen? Amen? It's a test. Here's my point. This was a proven ground to Philip. Let's get technical. A proven ground is the name for a military installation where weapons and technology and tactics are tested. There are proven grounds in the scripture. In Genesis 22, you can read that Abraham took Isaac to the top of Mount Moriah and he was going to sacrifice him. Isaac said, Father, here's the wood and here's the fire. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, the Lord himself will provide. 
And he became the Jehovah Jireh that day because Abraham tied Isaac to the, to the altar and had the, had the knife in the air, was going to slay his own son. And God stopped him and showed him a ram caught in the thicket because it was a testing ground, a proven ground. The fiery furnace for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was a proven ground. What they didn't realize was that Jesus was walking right in the furnace with them. Amen. Uh, the Son of God was walking right in the furnace with them. And, and, and you know what? They didn't see it, but the king saw it. And he said, wow, there's a fourth man in the fire. It looks just like the Son of God. Hallelujah. An Egyptian dungeon was a place called a proven ground for Joseph when he was away from his family. And Nehemiah, what kind of job are you going to do as a cupbearer? That's a G1 job. You want to build a wall back in Jerusalem, but let's do the G1 first so you can understand. Here's the point. Can you do a good job at a bad job? Can you do something good when nobody else is looking? Every test is an opportunity for you to prove yourself to God, but also for God to prove himself to you. Because I've never been through a test that the Lord didn't step in and say, I'm here for you now. I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to rejoice because I have come through those tests because God's been faithful to me. Austin is our proven ground with our relationships, with our jobs, with our children, with our schooling. Austin's our proving ground. Can you stay faithful? That's the question. Deuteronomy chapter eight said, thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee through the wilderness, uh, led these 40 years through the wilderness to humble you, to prove you and to know what is in your heart. Some of you are in a season right now where the Lord is, can I use the term humbling you? That's a hard word to say, but I want you to praise God for that because that's a great place to be. I remember when I was just a kid and, and you know, I, I left, I left seminary. I, I, I hate to tell you all this, but I left seminary because I thought the world needed to hear my voice. I thought I was ready to turn the world upside down. And I told the president of the college, I said, sir, I've got to get out and preach. He said, son, you're probably going to get drafted and go to the war. And I said, well, and I, and I was, I, they, they moved me from whatever a preacher's calling was to, I was an A1 and they, they was going to draft me and, and, and it had been all right because if God would have sent me to Vietnam, I'd have been preaching in Vietnam. But in my early ministry, I, I, I thought, you know, I, I had something, I had so much to tell. And so I thought when I got out, I was going to preach to big, big churches and I was going to, I was going to have revivals and mass revivals and be called to India and have stadiums full of people. And I was going to be called to Brazil and everybody was going to say, wow. And I started preaching in door, storefronts and I started preaching to churches that had 10 on Easter. And I started preaching at places and, and after a while you get to realizing it's hard to live on $65 a week. It's tough to live on 75 and every now and then I'd get a raise and I'd get $100 a week and I'd just shout the victory when I'd get that kind of check. And I thought I'd be preaching to the crowds and I thought I'd pastor a church of 500 people but it was not to be. Because God was showing me something in my time of testing but I discovered something. If you're faithful with a few things and with the little things. God will give you bigger things in your life. Come on, clap your hands. Psalms chapter 18, he said, with the merciful, you prove yourself merciful. And with the blameless, you prove yourself blameless. And with the pure, you prove yourself pure. God is going to prove himself to you if you don't run away from the proven ground. Amen. Come on, it's a test. So in John 6 and 7, Philip answered him and said, Lord, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have one bite. Philip was a mathematician. He probably did good. He could be another Danzig. I have a moment in our lives. There are moments in our lives when it, 
Everybody say it. Just doesn't add up. The will of God just does not add up. Philip said it would take a half a year's wages for everybody to get just one bite. I remember the first church that I ever pastored. I was 25 years old when I took that church. Was you, was you old enough? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I really was. But that church didn't have 500 people. It had 15. <laughs> and it was not a self-supporting church. The church annual income the year before I came was $11,000, which meant a little over $900 per month. And the note was $325. And the bus payment was $315. And the utility was $400. That's $1,040. The means did not match the month. And so I put down here the pastor's part, dollar sign, 0.00. I got nothing. I got nothing. And I had gotten so rich making $65 to $100 on the evangelistic field. And God spoke to me. He spoke to me when I took that church and said, I want you to immediately start telling these people that we're going to give outside of ourselves. We're going to sponsor this and we're going to bless this and we're going to feed our neighborhood and we're going to feed missions and we're going to help people around the world. And God spoke to me. And, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden I realized, dear Jesus, we, don't, we can't even make ends meet with what we have coming in. And you want me to get up and preach we're going to give outside the church? But God was teaching a 26-year-old young man this. I had turned 26 by this time. And I was in about the, my fourth or fifth month in the church. And so we started a beautiful program in our church. Are you ready? Some of you young people won't even recognize this. We started making peanut brittle. Anybody ever ate church peanut brittle? Boy, I promise you, I burnt my hands many times because I was back there shaking those pans. You know what I'm saying? And we'd make peanut brittle. And all of a sudden, the peanut brittle money started going outside our church outside the confines of the church. Oh, I'm preaching right now because I was in a proven time in my life. And God said, if I can teach you to give, if I can teach you to just give me two fish, you watch what I can do. You watch what I can multiply when you give me your very best. And when I gave it to him, all of a sudden, I, 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 I started, I would have church on Sunday, and then we'd have church on Tuesday, and I'd go preach Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and many times I'd come back, and, and, and I would tell the people I was preaching for, I said, now listen, folks, I, I, I need a little bit more. I'd tell the pastor, can you, can you bless me the $150 or something, because I've got to make payments on the church. We've got to, we've got to make the payments. We've got to live. And, and one month, I didn't get any place to preach, and I had a little travel trailer that I had evangelizing, and I sold the travel trailer so we could make notes, and we could pay the proper and pay the rent and pay the bus note and all that stuff. And I'm not, don't pity me. I'm just telling you, God started teaching me something. But I started giving outside myself. And one day, about, about six months later, in the month of May, in the month of May, we had about 40 people. And a man walked in, just a man walked in. And, and, and he, he come up to me after the first service. He said, preacher, you got me today and I want to be water baptized. I, I just need, I need to be baptized in water. And I said, okay. So I took him back. It's Memorial Day weekend. I took him back to the back. He opened his jacket and he had a 45 tuck in his britches right here and I said oh sweet Jesus he gonna shoot me <laughs> that's what I thought I thought I've done all this now I'm gonna get killed at 40 people really and I put him in the water and I baptized him and somebody came to me a little later and said pastor I hate to tell you this but he's a Dallas mafia boss and said he, he's a dear friend of Jack Ruby. Jack Ruby was the man that shot Lee Harvey Oswald and this man oh my God and I said oh Jesus what have I let in the house and all of a sudden the next Sunday, there was a wad of $100 bills about this thick in the offering plate. And somebody said, Pastor, I don't know where these are from. And the, and the mafia boss walked up because that's all he knew. He said, I gave that. That's my money. I love this preacher. I love this church. And this church is never going to suffer again. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. Don't ever doubt what God. Somebody help me preach. 
Don't ever doubt what God can do. And then there was a man in the city, in, in South Oak Cliff, in the city, that heard that a mafia man had come and found Christ and he wanted to come and just check the mafia man out. The mafia man became the show of the church. And this millionaire came and when he gave his first tithing, the offerings doubled again that weekend. And all of a sudden we had gone from $900 to about $4,000 in giving in a month. And all of a sudden we could eat, hallelujah, we could eat. We lived in the back of the church. We were suffering, but we didn't know we were suffering. It was a proven ground. But God taught me something in that proven ground. That if I give, if I give, He's going to pour it back on me. But He won't pour it back on me the way I give it. He's going to heap it up. He's going to press it down. He's going to shake it together and run it over. Come on, help me preach right now. That's the Word of God to you today. Hallelujah. It's amazing what God can do when a mafia man walks in your church. <laughs> a year later, he walked up to me. I buried that man not long after that, but a year later he walked up to me and he said, Preacher, I hadn't hurt anybody in the last year. Well, that's good. <laughs> he said, Jesus must really work. But he said, I'm going to still carry my gun because they may come in and want to shoot you because I've left them. And I'll have to kill them so you'll be able to stand and preach. Well, thank you, Brother Ardell, for that. <laughs> but God taught me something. He taught me, the, he taught me the power of giving. He taught me the spirit of giving. It doesn't matter how much you start with when God gets a hold of it. And that church from that point went to 300 and 400 members just that quick. And every weekend, new families and new, new people would be walking in our church. And they'd be converted and they'd be water baptized and they'd come to Christ and they'd, they'd receive the Spirit. And it was just a beautiful thing. It was an awesome thing. We was able to buy property out on the highway. We was able to buy the highest spot in southwest Austin. I mean, southwest Dallas. I got Austin on my brain today. We was able to buy the highest spot out there, and we bought property. And a man today, a man today is pastoring a church that I built the first building on because... Because our gift is somebody else's miracle. Are you with me today? And it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me at all. I just want you to know that when God teaches you the art of giving and the blessing of giving, there's a spirit that's involved in it. Would you clap your hands and rejoice to that right now? I'm not a prosperity preaching pastor. I will not add to the gospel. I'll not take away from the gospel. The gospel's as good as it gets. And I'm not preaching some get-rich scheme doctrine here today but put on the screen when God blesses you it's not to raise your standard of living it's to raise your standard of giving <laughs> hallelujah and when God raises your standard of giving if you'll continue to give in that vein God will continue to raise your standard of living because God loves a cheerful giver God loves people that bless the kingdom oh hallelujah God loves it you can't outgive God you can't outgive God. That doesn't mean that we hadn't had lean years. Patty and I have had them. Denise and I had them. A lot of them. But God has shown me that as I give, He will continually give back. But when God gives back, He doesn't give back the way I give. I give two fish and he hands me 12 basketfuls and he blesses me. Hallelujah. He blesses me heaped up, pressed down, shaken together and running over. And I've got this core conviction that God will bless us in proportion to how we give to people outside of ourselves. 
the needy. And let me, let me tell you what your church is doing. Every week we have a food pantry right here in the city, but also the 5th and the 15th and the 25th, we send out a team to feed homeless people with beautiful packaged things that we make in our, in our kitchen. And on the 10th and the 20th and the 30th, we do the same. And it's about 900 to $1,000 a month. We just take and spread it on the street. You know why? Because God's been good to us. God's been good to us. Come on, clap your hands. You got to learn that this thing is bigger than what we are. Hear this, pastor. Don't wait till you have 5,000 fish to start giving, to start investing, to start putting into, into your hands, from your hands to God's hands. Start with two fish. Put it in God's hands. If you wait until it adds up, you'll never tithe. Some of you folks that can't have children, you'll never adopt. You'll never apply for grad school. You'll never go on a missions trip. You'll never help the needy. Malachi 3 said, bring the whole tithe. Everybody say the whole tithe into the storehouse and see if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you cannot contain. Tithing, folks, is simply trusting. Say it. Tithing is simply trusting. It's trusting that God can do more with the 90% than you can do with the 100%. And that's a great starting point. Let's go to verse 8 and 9. Another of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? This is where we get stuck. Let me preach now. We let what we cannot do keep us from doing what we can do. Let me say it again. We let what we cannot do keep us from doing what we can do. Psychologists call it the drop in the bucket effect. We are paralyzed many times by the problem. Instead of motivating us, it paralyzes us to do nothing. Let me tell you a story. His name was Bob Pierce. And in 1950, he was in Korea working with children who was orphans from the Korean War. And one day he was in a food line that fed children. And he literally watched a little girl about eight years old drop dead in the food line because she had starved so long she had no more strength and she died. And that was a defining moment for Bob Pierce. And it became his life mission that he was going to get food to the front of that line if it was the last thing he did. So he started an organization called World Vision. You've probably heard of it, World Vision. And on one of his trips, Bob met a little girl, a little Korean girl named White Jade. I love that name, White Jade. And, and, and she had been beaten and disowned by her family because of her faith. He had five bucks in his pocket that day, and he pulled out that five bucks, and he gave it to the little girl named White Jade. And he said he would send some more every month. He would do his best, and he did. From month after month, that little girl was blessed. Let me ask you something. Do you know what the World Vision budget is today? $2.7 billion. Here's what I'm telling you. How did it start? Five bucks. How did it start? Two fish and five loaves. That's how it always starts. you got to start somewhere. And 20,000 miracles happened on this day. 20,000 miracles because a lad put what he had in God's hands. You're, you're here. You're someone else's miracle here today. Somebody gave so you could be here. Somebody kept the lights on in this church so you could find Christ in your life. Somebody blessed this congregation a long time ago. Why don't you pick up the pace now? Let's go forward. Because I believe with all my heart that God is not finished with this church. Can I preach to you right now? 
I believe, I'll, I'll probably preach to close to 2,000 people in three services today, but I'm telling you something right now. This is not where God wants us to finish. God sees five and 10 and 20,000 people. He sees campuses all over the city because God is saying, if you will give to me, I will give back to you. But when I give back, it'll be multiplied. Let me, let me take this opportunity right now to thank everybody. Just say thank you. I'm a grateful man. I love, I love my people. I'm overwhelmed at your faithfulness and your generosity to this church. I'm overwhelmed. I don't know who does and who doesn't, but I do know this, that God has provided. But I must be careful because I don't want to pat you so hard on the back that you'll stop giving. Because we have not attained what God has given us. Paul said, I have not apprehended what's apprehended me, but this one thing I do, I'm going to press toward it. I'm going to do more than I've ever done in my life. Verse 10 and 11, Jesus said, have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down, about 5,000 men were there. And Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed them to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He said, it's a buffet, boys. It's a buffet. Just get all you want. Can you imagine those hungry people, how many times they went back to the serving line? Two fish. Five loads. I read it so quickly. I wonder if we even caught it. The Bible said, everybody say, he gave thanks. Yes. See, what I'm doing here is not giving thanks. Probably those disciples said, because, Lord, we've got 5,000 men plus women and children, and we've got five fish, I mean five loaves and two fish. And I'm seeing a ride on my hands, Lord, and you're seeing a revival. But the Bible said he gave thanks. Now stop. Now listen to me. I think the multiplier in this story is gratitude. It's not just given. It's given with a spirit of gratitude. Joy isn't getting what you want. It's appreciating what you have. We got, we have to get out of this we have to get out of this thing. God, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. Why don't you start praising him for what you have? He healed 10 lepers. And nine of them went on to the house of God. But one turned around and said, thank you, Lord. Thank you. And because he said thanks, he said, your faith has made you whole. He never had to go check in with the high priest. He couldn't anyhow. He was a Samaritan. He couldn't get in. But he came back to the one that healed him. And the Lord said, your faith has made you whole. Why don't we have a spirit of gratitude grab this church like never before? And let's be grateful for what we do have. Not for what we don't have, but what we do have in our life. Come on. I've got life today. Come on. I've got blessings today. I have health today. Come on. I've got strength. I've got my family. I've got a church. I've got a pastor that loves me. I've got a God that cares for me. Come on. Let's start thanking him for what we have. Because I think the multiplier in this story is a spirit of gratitude. Gratitude. I must close. Here's where I want to land. I called one of my buddies this week up in Missouri. He lives in Poplar Bluff. Bluff City. And he's a man that I love immensely and I don't tell this story because he sends money to this church. He blesses his church. He's never sent a dime to this church. 
I've gone to see him a few times. I love his story. So I called, I just called him this week. I said, Dennis, I'm, I'm going to be preaching on giving on Sunday. Can you help me a little bit? Can you give me your story? And here's Dennis Young's story. He said, Pastor, when I was in 1981, he said, I was making $5 an hour. You got to get this now. I'm making five bucks an hour. And he said, he said, Pastor, he said, I went to church on a Wednesday night. I said, I was bringing home $176 a week. We had two kids, my wife and I. And said, I, I was so broke. Said, I came to church and the Lord said, I'm going to bless you, Dennis. Said, I walked out and I drove an old Datsun. Said, I walked outside and said, somebody had put two bags of groceries in my car. And somebody had taped two $20 bills to my steering wheel. He said, it made me feel bad, but it also made me rejoice because that, I didn't have any money. I had nothing left. That was too much month for my check. And he said, on my way home, he said, I had to cross the tracks. And the Lord stopped me. He said, I stopped on this side of the tracks. And the Lord said, I'm fixing to give you a new home, Dennis. <laughs> he said, on $176 a week. He said, I went to sleep that night and God gave me a dream. And God said, Dennis, I want you to, I want you to give $100 to missions a month. And he woke up the next morning. He told his wife, he said, honey, God wants us to give $100 a month to missions. She was a great woman, a faithful lady. And she said, well... What are we going to do? He said, I started doing side jobs. I started doing all kinds of things to get extra money so I could give the mission. said, my pastor told me about a little home mission church about 20 miles away. The pastor needed a lot of help to pay the bills. And so I sent him $100 a month. Boy, you're quiet, aren't you? It's a great story. And he said, pastor, he said, he said that I went to a convention, a camp in Kansas City in 1984. He said, there was a young preacher up there. He said he, he, had, he, had, he, was, he was bald and said he had challenge in his hair. And said he was preaching. He said he was throwing away boxes. It's called dream boxes. And he was saying, it's a dream. Don't, don't, don't give up on your dream. And he said, Pastor, you're that preacher. And he said, you told me, don't give up on my dream. And he said, you know what? I never had been a dreamer. I didn't know what a dream was. But he said, I walked out of there that day. And he said, I couldn't rub two nickels together. He said, I went back home to Poplar Bluff. And I said, I'm going to chase my dream. And he said, I went and borrowed $300,000. I said, what? Shoot. Why not? And he said, I, I bid six road jobs. He did heavy equipment operation. He said, I, did, I bid six road jobs in Missouri. And he said, five of them fell through. But the sixth one hit. It cost me $50,000 a pledge, a job. And he said, Pastor, the government... May be slow, but they always pay. And I'll never forget the first time I ever saw him, first time I ever met him years ago, I saw a $1.1 million check on the wall of his office. And he said, that's the start of the dream that you told me to never lose. And I'm not preaching prosperity gospel today. I'm just telling you, he said, Pastor, he said, something happened to me on that Wednesday night when I made 176 bucks a week. He said, God told me, I'm going to give you a spirit of giving. Not just to give, just to be recognized. I'm going to give you a spirit of giving. That's what needs to happen to all of us in our life. We need to give more in our worship. Come on, let me talk to you. We need to give more in our prayer life. We need to give more in our, in our time and our treasures and, yes, our talents. I want to tell you, God wants us to be givers in this life, not takers. There's two kind of people, givers and takers. I want to be a giver. Clap your hands and say, I do too, Pastor. And now, now, 
from a man making $5 an hour in 1981. His mission offer now <laughs> is over $200,000 a year. He writes checks. The pastor said, we need an orphanage. Over here in Haiti, he writes $35,000 check. We need something over here in Japan, he'll write a check. We need something down there in Argentina, he'll write a check. And I, he said, Pastor, I'm not boasting, but I'm telling you. He said, I, I started with $100, $5 an hour, man, but I put everything I had in God's hands. And God has paid me back. And I can't outrun the blessings of God anymore. I'm so grateful for what he's done in my life. I'm preaching to somebody today. I'm telling you that God's got something great for you. I told him I'd preach about him. He's going to listen to podcasts. Dennis, I love you. Some of you know the William Borden story. There was a pastor, and I'm closing, that went to Cairo, Egypt a few years ago. And uh, on a mission trip, he decided to visit the grave of William Borden. Borden was the heir to the Borden family dairy company fortune. But Borden went to Yale. It was, a, it was a, a school for pastors back then. And when he graduated, instead of taking the family business, he felt a call to be a missionary in Egypt. And Borden went to Egypt and contacted an illness and died in his early 20s. And when he died, when he died, they found three statements in his Bible that profoundly challenged and inspired a whole generation of missionaries. This is what they found in his Bible. Write this down, young people. Write it down, adults. No retreat, no reserve, no regret. When the pastor went to his grave, there were some Muslim caretakers that said, you Christians don't keep your word. He said, what do you mean? They said, the Christians never paid for this man's casket. And the pastor from the Midwest said, how much is the casket? And they said, $500. So he pulled out his wallet and gave those Muslim men 500 bucks. Fast forward, he was at dinner with someone in his church weeks later. And he noticed the man had one more beautiful watch on. Price of it was fifteen dollars to $20,000. Beautiful watch. This ain't it. <laughs> well, I feel the Holy Ghost here. And the pastor, the pastor liked that watch. And he was about to compliment the guy, and God said, No, don't you say a word. So afterward, he was talking to his wife and wondering if he coveted that watch. But for six months, what he didn't know, God had been speaking to that man about giving his pastor that watch. I'm not wanting to watch today, okay? I'm just telling a story. And a couple weeks later, the pastor was speaking, and the man was in the congregation, and, and the Lord challenged him again, said, I want you to give that watch to this pastor, that, this watch to that pastor. And he said, Lord, I will, if he, if he mentions my name in the sermon. I will not call a bunch of names right now. Like Henry and Bob and Bill and Al and I won't do that. In the next 30 seconds, the pastor somehow worked around and called the name of the man that owned the watch. And when service was over, the man came down weeping and crying and gave the pastor the watch. 
And so the pastor had something to tell everybody then after that because he said, listen, I, I can't afford this. Somebody gave this to me. You know, he had to tell it because he was a pastor. I didn't go out and spend fifteen, twenty thousand on this watch. He was sitting on a plane one day and a guy sitting there beside him and it, everywhere he went, people admired that watch. And the pastor told him the whole story of how it happened. And the next thing you know, the guy said, you know, I didn't know that people could hear God's voice that way. And it turned this awesome conversation about how God speaks to people. Then he gets off the plane and he goes to the baggage claim and there's another guy and he notices the watch and he says, man, that's a pretty watch. And the pastor has to tell him the same story, how he got it. And all of a sudden that man cussed, didn't cuss the pastor, but he just cussed. He said, oh, that's just, that's great. He said, a friend of mine told me I need to give away my watch. And someone would confirm it within five days, the day's the fourth day, and you show up and confirm about something about a watch. So I got to give mine away now. Oh, that's great. Thanks a lot. Moral of the story, when you pay off people's 100-year-old debts, people are going to give you some watches. <laughs> no, that ain't the moral. The moral is this. That's crazy stuff, isn't it? That's crazy. That's just flat out crazy. How does that happen? I'll tell you how that happens. It happens because when you work with God's mathematics, God is in the multiplication process. I can't tell you the number of young people that came up to me after first and second service today and said, Pastor, thanks for tapping into my heart today. You tapped my spirit today, Pastor. I'm not a... I'm not a money preacher, and I'm not preaching money now. I'm preaching about giving. I preach about giving. I'm preaching about giving what you have and be happy and be grateful because the multiplier is a spirit of gratefulness. You got to give thanks for what you have. And then you turn it to the Lord and watch God do his thing. When I was 26 years old, I learned I'm a giver. I'm not a taker. And I think one of the reasons God has blessed this church and will continue to bless this church is that the angel of this church, the pastor of this church is not stingy. I wake up every morning saying, God, put somebody in my path today that I can bless. I want to bless somebody. And whether it's jelly bellies to an eight-year-old kid that ruins his teeth or whether it's $1,000 to somebody that needs help. I want to be grateful because God taught me a lesson at a proven ground when I was 26 years old. And by the way, that's been a 40-year journey for me. And here I am today. And I'm telling you, this church is not finished. Stand to your feet and clap your hands and say we're headed in a great direction. Come on, clap your hands real big. I'm not going to take up an offering. I'm not going to take up an offering today. It's not about it. But it's about two fish. It's about two little old sardines that fed 20,000 people because somebody surrendered his lunch. God rebuked the selfishness in us. 
Let a spirit of giving baptize this congregation. Let us give our love. Let us give forgiveness. Let us give grace. Let us give mercy. Let us share, God, with people the glorious news of Jesus Christ. Let us give our time. Let us give our talents. And God, let us give our treasures. I've never seen a hearse with a trailer hitch. You can't take it with you. God, let us be givers. Let us be grateful for what you've blessed us with. Let us not be takers, but givers in Jesus' name. Would you lift your hands all over the building right now? Let me bless you. Dear Father, I bless this congregation in the name of the Lord. And that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.